if the entire culture is to do whatever we can for every resident in the community or the region, that really has to start there and not something that's put on a piece of paper once a year. Welcome to another episode of the Community Broadband Bits podcast. I'm Christopher Mitchell at the Institute for Local Self-Reliance in St. Paul, Minnesota. Today, I'm speaking with Chad Krager, the Broadband Executive Director at the City of Fort Collins. Welcome. Thanks, Christopher. I'm excited to be here with you. Fort Collins, Colorado, uh, the the northern uh, municipal ISP in the Front Range. Uh, can you tell us just for people who haven't been there and seen the wonder of a city that has undergrounded its aerial utilities, uh, just what an amazing place it is? Yeah, it really is. And I forget when I go to other places that we've done that, right? Because you get used to anything. Um, and so back in the 80s, a decision was made um, for a lot of reasons, reliability, uh, long-term O&M, to underground our utilities. And it wasn't an easy feat. Um, because of that, though, we have extreme reliability. Um, frankly, the aesthetics are great because you don't have these poles everywhere. The only exception to that is going to be your giant uh, poles coming into the city from the, you know, the maker of the electric. And so the distribution is underground. But because of that, what's great about it is when the city decided to do our own broadband, we decided to be underground as well. We had to be. And the reason was if we made the investment, the pretty significant investment to underground all of our electric, then we need to do the same for our broadband. And that's not just the, the fiber and conduit. That is all the way to the, there are no pedestals, meaning everything is underground. Um, which makes it great, but it also makes it a very difficult build. Um, the other thought was when we started this, that we would be able to use a significant amount of empty conduit that was left over when we put the electric underground. But as time took place, decades between when that was underground and we started, quite a bit of that conduit was unavailable, whether it's freeze thaw or, or trees or whatever it may be. And so we had to bore much more than we thought um, but I will say that having our broadband underground, about half of it's an electric conduit, the other half is next to it. There is an extreme amount of respect when contractors see red locate marks on the ground that signify electric. <laughs> the orange that are sometimes hit more often than the red. So um, I will say it's great to be in a town that has such significant reliability and not just in our electric, but now in our broadband space because we don't have anything in Ontario. And now you're you're in a one of the larger cities that have this. I mean, I would I would say third or fourth largest city probably. What's the population nowadays? We're about 170,000. Um, that does not include Colorado State University, which is almost 35,000. And so we are a college town, university town, and it's a great place to be. Um, for those that don't know it, we're actually closer to you know the closest major city, closest to the Wyoming border, um, kind of tucked up against the foothills than we are say to Denver. Great place to live, great organization, the city of Fort Collins, and that we are able to do a lot of innovative things because you know, residents here trust us and we are able to go forward with things that a lot of cities, other cities that I've worked in just weren't able to do. So the, the support of the city is high here. And with that, we have responsibility to offer great services like broadband. And the the network started being built by uh, Coleman Keene was the head of it. He left, and then you've been in charge for a year or so now. How long's it been? Uh, it's been a couple years since I've been. Couple in years. Yeah, goes by quick. <laughs> <laughs> it does, and it's so much nicer to be now in a kind of a, a growth phase, an operational phase. 
than in a build phase. When you're building out one of the city's largest capital projects ever and hitting maybe every sprinkler system in town, <laughs> it's much nicer to be in this situation now. Although we'll we'll talk uh, in the conversation about how there's there's so many people in apartment buildings that it may actually be fewer sprinklers than than you might think, although still an astoundingly high number. Uh, and we're also going to talk a bit about uh, the role of the uh, electric utility that the city owns in terms of how everything's structured. But before we get into that, I think I want to make sure people have a sense of why this is important, right? Um, you know, it's a big project. You noted that. Uh, I think it's it's a tremendously important project. It's difficult, I'm sure. And I always want to know why is it worth doing for the city to take on, you know, whatever amount of risk you might say it is. Why was it worth doing? Little history to why we're even in the business of broadband as a city is that back in about 2015, the city realized that they needed a bigger investment from the incumbents into the internet that people had at home. Uh, the city asked those incumbents to come and, and, and talk to them. And the question was, when are you going to invest in the city of Fort Collins? And the answer from both was, we're not, we don't have any business plans, which at the time wasn't necessarily the right answer. And so back then, that was back, if you remember when Google was announcing the first Google Fiber City, people started doing polar plunges and naming their name, naming their cities after them. And my analogy to everybody, it's kind of like what happened in the 70s with that coffee shop in Pike's Place Market, and it started the coffee phase with Starbucks. Well, when Google did that, all of a sudden, even though Fort Collins was not, you know, didn't win that, it made them realize that they can do this on their own. And so they began a journey. Um, it started initially was going to be a public-private partnership for different reasons that didn't work out. The city then decided to do it on our own. Not an easy thing to do, but uh, we started that project and really in 2019 was when the first customer was lit up. And I can say now that we're done, it has been fantastic. And, and for those that we do have those, let's say, libertarians that believe the government shouldn't be in the broadband space, I will say, well, you don't need to get connection. You're happy to get our incumbents and they've invested a lot of money in making them more competitive. They lowered prices. And so in the end, it's a win-win for our residents, not just for connection, but for the residents of Fort Collins. And that's the hat we wear, which is really important because most broadband, if you're a private broadband provider, the reality is there's a bottom line that you have to share with stockholders. Here, we certainly have to meet our financial goals and pay back our bonds, but we are investing already back into our network with the goal to make our residents' life as best as it can be. That is a, it's a great answer. Um, what I'm always looking for is like the emotional answer. You know, if I'm trying to convince someone, um, so that's a great data answer. Can will you tell me a story about someone's grandma? Yeah. I mean, the emotional <laughs> answer is we believe that it, it, it is, it should be a right to have one gig symmetrical internet in the city of Fort Collins. I mean, you know, one, one example, and I know you'll get into this, Christopher, is to talk about the digital inclusion piece. We knew from the beginning that we wanted everyone to get one gig symmetrical internet. And we set aside from the very beginning, 6% of our revenue into a digital inclusion fund. And what that does is it provides a number of things, but one of the things it does is it provides a digital equity rate. And for those that qualify, instead of paying $70 for our one gig symmetrical speed, you pay $20 for one gig symmetrical speed. We do not throttle. 
that $50 difference is made up from the 6% that we set aside. Mm -hmm. So now all of a sudden we're seeing folks that couldn't afford the internet, being able to get the internet in a way that's not throttled, in a way that, that serves families, in a way that kids can go to school. Whatever the need is, we very much believe in that. And so there's story upon story of folks that, you know, got horrible or unreliable, generally very slow internet, and they weren't able to do things. And unlike every story around the internet these days, of course it hit during COVID. And with that, now there's such a desire to get not just high speed and reliability, but the one thing that I want us as municipal providers to hit on is the customer experience. The reality is there are competitors that offer speeds in certain areas of town that may be as high, at least the download, but not the upload. But the customer experience just is not what our customers want. And that's why they're coming in droves to not just us, but other municipal providers, because again, it's the experience of the resident. It's not necessarily the bottom line and, and getting as, as much as you can out of that tiny turnip. The ACP program is, uh, is starting to go away. And one of the things that we love about what you're doing, uh, which you know, I, I could only say that, um, you know, uh, Hillsboro is doing something that's similar with uh, their highlight network and uh, Chattanooga, you know, has their own approach where they've done, tapped into a lot of local philanthropy to be able to provide a wonderful benefit outside of federal support. Speaking of that local customer experience, do you assign a private investigator to check into people when they try to sign up for the low income program and take like all day for them to to get onto it like the federal government does with ACP? We do not. We make it as easy as possible. What's what's great that I didn't mention is that we've actually established an app called GetVoco. And in Fort Collins, there's about nine different aspects that you can get income qualified rates for. And what was happening is they would be all over the place. You might have to go to the Parks Department on Tuesday at two o'clock in order to get that rate. Mm -hmm. We realized that is not easy for the resident so we've combined everything into one app that someone can apply for online and get not only a connection discount, but it can include your utility bill, it includes your, you know, you're registering your dog, it includes your parks things. And so that's where we're really trying to make it easier, again, not just on connection, but on all aspects of the city to make it sort of a one-stop shop. And because our utilities are certainly checking folks with their requirements, we are, you know, basically once a year, folks have to give a very minimum amount of information, making sure that they still meet those qualifications to be in that program. Now, if we were to uh, break for a second here, I just yeah. want to, I don't want people to lose track of this, but what you're saying, I think this resonates with me. And I'm curious, you said you've been to some other cities and networks. Sometimes people will come to me and they'll be like, I want my city to be like Fort Collins. We need to build a fiber network. Right. And what you just described is similar to what I saw in Chattanooga, which was that some communities have spent years or decades improving their processes, being more responsive to citizen needs and things like that. And then they might also build a network. Um, other yeah. cities build a network and like they may succeed or they may not, but they also haven't captured that sort of relentless drive to meet local needs and be that responsive. And and I just I wanted to highlight for a second for people that there's a lot of work to be done in a lot of local governments to achieve what you just talked about. It's impressive. Well, and I think it starts with just the attitude of folks that work in our shop. I mean, I will say that one of our incumbents has provided me fantastic employees that were looking for almost a purpose mm -hmm. and not 
paycheck. And with that, if the entire culture is to do whatever we can for every resident in the community or the region, that really has to start there and not something that's put on a piece of paper once a year. And so I can't underline enough, and it has to be at the beginning, right? When we started setting aside the 6%, I'm going to be honest, there were days when I sure wish I had that 6% in revenue. Yeah, no, when you're building, yeah. Oh. Yeah, when you're building, yeah. you have bond when you, twice a year when we have our principals due for our, our bonds. But the reality is if we didn't start then, we would never start. It's almost impossible you know, to put the toothpaste back in the tube after you start. So what I would say to any of those, one, I'd love to share the mistakes that we made because we certainly made a host of them and things that I would do differently. And I would say, start from the beginning with what you want your true north and your vision for your area to be, because you can't just change it. It takes a lot. And it's like, it's, it's, it's moving a giant ship in order to do it. Yeah, that's one other thing that I would, again, sort of advice for other folks. If you come across a network that says they didn't make any big mistakes, then uh, that just means they haven't figured out that they've <laughs> right. made big mistakes and they've got an right. iceberg in their future. <laughs> right. Exactly. It's like any relationship. If someone says they never had a, you know, a disagreement with someone that they're friends with or even your your partner, well then have you how do you really know those folks, right? Yes. So that's kind of how it is. I think we've all learned or we should learn through everything that we do and that's certainly the case in the broadband space. One of the things that has always struck me um, where Fort Collins came in differently than others is at a time when most municipal fiber networks that were being built had to hit a take rate of 35, 37, 42% to break even in the business plan. Um, Fort Collins business plan called for like a 28% take rate, well, which was much lower. I attributed that to uh, being able to take advantage of a lot of conduit that was already there. But as you noted, a fair amount of that conduit turned out not to be the case. Um, you know, how, how is it that Fort Collins sort of um, hasn't had that a uh, higher take rate needed in order to pay all your bills? Well, you know, I will say the original business plan was great on paper, but the reality is once we started the construction, I wouldn't say that you could get rid of that original business plan, but it became outdated very quickly. Mm -hmm. The original business plan didn't call for video product. It didn't call for 24-7, 365 technical support. So the original business plan, um, it, it meant well, but didn't include an, an increased cost to build out to MDUs. I and mean, I know we'll talk about MDUs in a minute, but that's extremely important. So we have completely updated our financials and, and you know, what we're forecasted are, are different than what that business plan showed. I'll note that it did say 28% residential. It also said 40% commercial in the first two years, which is almost, I wouldn't say almost, that's impossible to hit those goals, whether it's property owner not giving you permission or being able to actually construct all of those things. So I appreciate that business plan. I think mm -hmm. it gave a lot of good truth that we had at the time and it was factual, but it's like anything that when you're, when you're finished with a project, I think any startup has to adjust based on the reality that they face, including marketing conditions at the time. So you've come to a, a, a more of a standard sort of situation. Yeah, our stake rate right now is 37%. That's really good. And, uh, you know, it's uh, what, four years after turning on the first customer. So some neighborhoods have only had it for two years or so. Yeah, some neighborhoods have had it for like six months. And so we actually finished what I call our main build out six months ago. And I don't celebrate that we're done with the build out because the reality is with 40% of MDUs, quite a bit of people that live in Fort Collins haven't received internet. Mm -hmm. And and it would be a little bit pompous for me to make that announcement. 
Right. And I also just wanted to note that one of the things we've seen in places, that number of 40% of commercial um, opportunities in the first two years, when you announce to the world you're building a network, you are telling the incumbent providers to lock small, medium, and large businesses into three-year contracts. And so that first year, your salespeople trying to to make those uh, business connections, uh, you know, it's very hard to hit their targets, I think. so. <laughs> it, it really is. And, and our, our biggest really hurdle is meeting demand. And so we are doing what we can. We're getting more contractors on board. It's it's a it's a great problem to have, but the reality is it's still a problem and that that's missed out revenue. Um, so again, we're, we're, uh, something we learn is, you know, I wish we could have gotten more contractors faster. At the same time, you've got to balance that with having enough revenue to pay for those contractors. Mm-hmm. And so it, it's all a balancing game with the finances. Have you thought about uh, seeing if Deion Sanders would help you recruit? <laughs> no, I have not. I appreciate that suggestion, Christopher. Uh, so 40% uh, apartment buildings, condo units, what we call MDUs, multi-dwelling units. Um, how has that um, you know, made your build significantly different from most of the municipal fiber projects we've seen? Yeah, what I've seen on average, most cities have about 15% multi-dwelling units. One of the reasons I think is because we're a university town in Colorado State with 40% it just means that, you know, when I say the main build out's done, that means for single family residential. And it means that quite a bit of boring still needs to take place because remember, we're underground from the streets to the edge of those buildings because we have to go across massive landscaping or parking lots or whatnot. So while we continue to get demand, we are still about six months backlog and we are striving to make that more like six to eight weeks. Um, luckily, we are finished with 31% of MDUs can actually sign up, which is huge. But we've got teams not only going out to get a right of entry at the very beginning to those that are constructing and getting into every single MDU. So our struggle, again, is, is not just the time it takes, but also we had to really adjust some of our um, forecasts for the cost you know, get to an MDU is a more expensive thing because of the additional boring than would take place for a single family residential home. Now, when you get to the MDU, are you uh, running fiber to the unit? Or are you uh, running fiber to a place and then throwing it on uh, Cat 5e or Cat 6 or Cat 7 or Cat 22? Great question. And, and I know you hate this answer, but it depends. A lot of the new builds that go up because we've built for years, we've built strong relationships with developers through bulk deals. And with that, we are actually being, you know, put in the actual units during construction. Those we call brownfield or those that exist today. Sometimes we're doing a wrap on a townhome situation. On the ends of the townhomes, that's an easy nid a box on the ends. On the interior, you've got to do a wrap. Um, we've had a few where we had to run some tracking on the outside. A lot of, of MDUs, the bigger ones we're finding, have some type of commu- uh, communications room. So if we can tap into that, we can get through CAT 6 into the individual units. Um, but it's definitely something that we're always looking for the best tool in our tool belt to fit whatever that MDU is. What we find is those cities, I'm sure, that have the more historic MDUs, like when we're in what we call Old Town, and you've got a MDU that's over 100 years old, there's really not a good way to get into each unit. So that's where we start to look for some wireless solutions that would be different than most other MDUs. But, you know, MDUs are always going to be our biggest challenge, um, partially because there's so many of them and the cost. 
partially is because there is more of, you will see the fiber from time to time and that's not what people want. So again, we're looking, we're working with other vendors. We're actually talking to other cities on how do you do it? Because we don't have all the answers and I'd love to talk to others that do or anyone that says they do. I'd love to talk to them. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, that's one of the questions that, uh, uh, you know, I, I didn't ask a whole lot in the past. And then when I would talk to people building the networks, they're always sort of like, what What are you hearing? Like, what's uh, how are people doing the MDUs? And because no one wants to end up with just wireless in the hallways, right? Like, like it, it might be good enough in some circumstances for some folks, but like, you don't want to make that choice for people and you want to have that future upgradability, I'm sure. Yeah, actually, what we had recently was a building that was constructed and they said, well, we don't we don't need your service. We just want one one fiber. We want to give everyone wireless. And that was awesome for the first three people that moved in. But once you had 30, 40 people in there, it, they were complaining left and right. Now, luckily, we had convinced the developer to run our fiber during construction. So all we had to do was connect to the to that fiber, if you will, and each unit got it. But it is a lesson learned. It, is, it sounds great to offer wireless. But the reality is we're just not there with the, the speeds and reliability that we are with Ethernet. Right. And, you know, over the next few years, we might be in a really good situation with the six gigahertz coming on Wi-Fi seven and stuff like that. But, you know, another four or five years after that, who knows? And so you don't want to, you don't <laughs> well, want to. Well, it's always the new product, right? We have to yeah. serve whatever that product is. And so there will be a point when people are actually buying a Vision Pro than to do something other than TikTok. And when they do that, that's when people will need these Wi-Fi speeds and hopefully there will be stability for those types of devices. Right. Yeah, you don't want to you don't want to close up the walls um, before you've gotten that stuff in, right? So outside of Fort Collins, you've got Larimer County. There's a, a fair amount of need around there. Some eligible for grant funding, some not. Uh, what's your role in all of that? Uh, we have been having great conversations with Larimer County for years because in Larimer County, there's three cities that have municipal broadband. It's us, City of Loveland, and Town of Estes Park up in the mountains. And with that, Larimer County quickly realized that with, as we finished our builds, there was a you know, really a digital divide being created between its rural residents and those that live in the, what they call the urban areas. And so we've been talking to them, looking for opportunities. Um, about a, six months ago, Larimer County provided funding for us to extend our city, our, our connection network beyond the city limits into what we call the growth management area or the GMA. And that's sort of that uh, area between what's urban and what's rural. Um, what's hard about GMA areas is, I think this is true everywhere, because they have high enough speeds, you really will not be able to meet any type of grant requirements that have low speeds. And so the county recognized that about six or nine months ago, gave us some funding, and we're about to build out to that area. Just recently, we worked with the county on more rural areas. We submitted four projects for Capital Projects Fund, and we were successful in getting all four of those awarded to us, which is huge because it's going into rural areas. It's going into Colorado State's Mountain Campus. They actually provided a funding match, which is huge for them. Now they can turn it into a real learning area. It provides not only residents and businesses in Larimer County, but an important fact is it helps us greatly with emergency communication. Where we've had at one, you know, three, four years ago, no, 2020 was the largest wildfire in the state of Colorado was in Larimer County, um, which leads to massive flooding when when all that soil is gone. And so emergency management is a massive issue for Larimer County. And so since then, we partner with them. 
We do not have the funding because we are just starting out to provide any matches outside of the city limits. Larimer County understands that and they're actually providing the match. And this recent grants we won, we will share 25% of our revenue until we pay back the 25% match that they provided. Once the payback is done, we will collect all of the revenue. And so that's really important as we get into the space because we, we haven't been around for 10 years where we have revenue coming in without bonds. Um, we had to establish a mechanism in, in order to pay for those things. But it's exciting that we're part of the solution. Um, the state of Colorado doesn't have restrictions on being in your service area only. So we could expand beyond what our electric, uh, you know, which is generally our city limits into Larimer County and get into those mountainous regions, those areas with topography, which make it really difficult for wireless providers, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's really exciting. Um, you know, I'll note that we're also working with the regional electric provider. And so we're attaching their poles. We will not be underground in the mountains, um, mainly due to rock, as well as some forest service permits, which are much easier if you attach to existing poles. Sure. Um, and then you have a pretty good relationship with those other uh, munis. It's not a, a situation of uh, intense competition and undercutting each other. No, we have a great relationship with them. I think, you know, we actually have Northern Colorado Community Fiber, which is it's a, an entity that we're part of Loveland, Estes, Larimer County and some others because we see the importance of solving things regionally. We learn things from each other. We support each other. I, I know Connection provides supports to both Loveland and Estes Park with our technical service reps, with our backhaul. I'll also mention that not in Larimer County, but just south of us is Longmont, which mm -hmm. was the first city in the state of Colorado to offer municipal fiber. So it's pretty incredible, man, to have four municipalities within spitting distance from each other to have such strong municipal fiber, which not only offers great speeds, but is really just, you know, people we have, people are passionate about what we provide. I'd say we have super fans. And that's a reflection of the service that we give, not just in our speeds, but in that customer experience if people do have any issues. Yeah, and I'm sure he'll be listening. So we can just give a shout out to Glenn, who uh, did a lot of work, him and Colin, early on to to make yeah. sure that this would be happening. So, Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, we have some very passionate residents that we are standing on the shoulders of, and that's the only reason that this exists. And so I'm very grateful to those that have been part of Connection or those residents that were the catalyst for starting this. Now, I want, I want to talk a little bit about the um, the structure. Uh, because uh, it's really it's it's fascinating and it's also important I think for people to have a sense of of how to do things differently. And I learned just before we started the interview that you changed some of the structure recently. So um, can you just walk us through how the you're structured in terms of your department? Sure. So in general, for, around utilities, Fort Collins has um, you know water utilities, and that includes your your water, your stormwater, and your wastewater. And we also have our electric or what we call light and power. So those four utilities have traditionally been under one utilities executive director. And then connection or uh, the broadband utility has been separate and there's been discussions for a while about making it part of the others as a fifth utility. Um, we've made the decision for right now to make it separate. And part of the reasons for that is, is one, it's competitive nature. We have to be very nimble. We have to do things differently. Two, uh, I, I think one of the reasons is that because, you know, it, it kind of goes along with being competitive. 
we we really had to market stronger. I know that's part of the competitive, but being you know in that space of being uh, of marketing to others of sales, we really couldn't be under the umbrella at the time of being part of all the others because the reality is um, you know there was there's certain processes um, that, that are in place as part of the other utilities there for good reason that really weren't applicable for connection. Now, I will say that we're looking at our org chart all the time to see what makes sense, but there have been things that where I say even the, the customer service reps or the CSRs, for years connection, we had the utility CSRs, they were given a fifth utility for a while, and that was connection on top of their daily duties. And what we found was one, that was a lot of you know extra stuff to give one CSR, but also the typical CSR that is in a city utility does not have to worry about retention. People are not calling to cancel their water or their power. And that was extremely important to us. You know, our, our luckily our churn is less than 1%, but we still needed to make sure and track those numbers closely, do what we could, do outbound calls, things that typically don't happen in typical utility CSR. So while we're constantly looking to see what the org chart looks like, for now it makes sense to keep them separate um, and no one's perfect at this. I know it, certain cities do it different ways. For Fort Collins, this is what makes sense right now. And, and I'm grateful for it because we're able to really pay attention to the market and, and act extremely fast. Um, and, and we have the support from the city to do that being separate. I'll also say that because we are sharing light and power infrastructure, we will always be very close to that group as far as any kind of maintenance, any kind of upgrades, we're constantly going to coordinate and we have to stay integrated with them, but we will right now we're separate from them. Right. And for, for people who are new to the utility space, um, even if you're going to go, you know, quote unquote off grid with solar panels, you're still on the grid. <laughs> so the retention issue is just, you know, you don't have a competing water system in most cities. Uh, and so, you know, like for those utilities, that experience of dealing with people who are calling up to cancel is different. Um, I would guess that with the churn rate of, you said, less than 1%, uh, it's the same thing we've seen with a lot of muni fiber, which is that mostly people are disconnecting if they're leaving town. That's right. Um, and that's there's nothing we can do about that. Right. Although I don't know why people would be leaving that town. I mean, it seems like one of those <laughs> things that everyone's moving into. <laughs> right. Right. I, I can't imagine leaving either, but you never know where people's journey takes. I was just up there and I, I do have to say, I mean, if you look at um, Loveland, uh, Longmont, uh, Fort Collins, um, I've only barely touched Estes Park, but uh, they're lovely, wonderful places to be. Um, you know, the last thing I wanted to ask you is, um, is just to make it clear, cause you mentioned that you're at 37%. I don't know exactly how long-term your debt is. Um, but I think it is just helpful. Cause like one of the things we see is these ridiculous claims from an academic here or there or someone else that, that actually like, you're not going to be able to pay off your debt and that you're just like, basically like it's a, some kind of shell game moving numbers around. Um, how is it looking in terms of paying off your debt within the expected timeframe? Yeah, we are definitely on track. Um, I'll note that our revenue continues to grow 40%, more than 45 than 40%. I think it was 45% last year, year over year, which is massive for any startup. And I want to underline that that's not why we're in this. Mm -hmm. And we have to pay attention to that because we're obligated to our residents to pay back those bonds. And so, um, you know, we're on track with paying back our debt. We are 
paying very close attention to that. We are putting things in place so we're at like a return on investment process. So we're, because we're kind of, we're not kind of, we're running a business inside of a city, which is unique and also fantastic. And, and we have the support of Fort Collins, but it's also a little bit separate entity, but we have to stay, you know, right within our bounds. And we are on track to pay those bonds back. And I would say that basically if you do this right and you provide not just the internet, but an amazing customer experience, you can see those type of revenue gains because it's such a need within most communities to see this. Um, and, and the other thing is you'll see an investment from your incumbents, which isn't bad either, because in the end, we're as municipalities are doing this for the residents of the areas that we live in. Yes. Yeah. I, I, it's never the goal of any muni that I've met to run an, a, a competitor out of business, right? You want to force them to compete. You want to force them to do more, uh, but uh, you're not looking to try and get, I mean, if you get hundred percent market share, fine, but you're not sitting there plotting. You're just trying to figure out how to make sure people's needs are met and you can pay your bills. Yeah. Right. And what's great is we've already invested back in the network and I don't like to get technical, but we're already XGS pawn the entire city. Mm -hmm. So we're offering one, two, and 10 gig speeds right now to any resident that wants it at any time, um, which is huge and years ahead of what our competition can do. And so that's really important as we take whatever revenue we get, we're making sure not just to pay back our bonds, but also investing appropriately into the network so it stays state of the art. You know, actually, I do have one other question, which is, I, I think the hardest thing, and you could tell me I'm wrong. I think the hardest thing for a city that wants to do what you're doing is to find a person like you that gets it, that can do it. And, and so I'm curious, what is your background and how did you come to this work? Yeah, that's a great question, Christopher. So I do not have a background in telecommunications, um, which is interesting. So my background is actually in all types of transportation that you can imagine from super tankers to bicycle programs. And, you know, I, I moved to the city to actually be the city engineer for Fort Collins, which ironically was to put permits in place for broadband when it, when it started. Um, and what, you know, basically the city was, there was an opportunity where they needed a little bit help with the construction build out. I moved over to connection and quickly learned, I mean, the telecommunications aspect. And I will say that I feel strongly that, you know, leaders, don't always have to be the subject matter experts. As a matter of fact, it's not always the best thing mm -hmm. for a subject matter expert because then they don't trust their staff nor hire people that are much smarter than them to do the job. And so it's been amazing to just create and have this amazing team here. But I think it's also amazing that I was part of the city prior to us having a broadband and, and being part of other cities that I've lived and worked in. And I think it's important if they if other cities can do this, to bring someone on board that has some municipal experience. And not always, but it certainly helps when it comes to having a passion for a community they live in. I'm also lucky enough to where most days I ride a bicycle to work. I live and work in the city. There's a lot of passion that comes with that. And, and so you, you, being proud of your city is super important. So. I would say for those that are considering doing that, looking for a leader that's passionate and can lead a team, look for someone that's had some municipal experience. Now, that's not always the case, but it certainly helps because if if the passion is going to be the resident and not the bottom line, you've got to have that background because we've got to be a little bit separate, but also very integrated into the rest of the city for our success. Yeah. 
Well, if I was thinking about doing this, I would be figuring out how to take a, a little trip and visit, uh, you know, certainly town of Estes Park. They're busy. They're they're a smaller right. town trying to manage all this. Right. But like, right. you know, uh, Brianna Reed, Harmel, um, uh, Valerie Dodd and her staff. And then you, uh, you know, visit Longmont, um, uh, Loveland and Fort Collins to uh, to get a sense of how they've done things, because you all have done some things differently and you can get a real sense of trade offs, I think. Yeah. And, and we're all doing things a little different, but we all have extreme respect for each other. We meet quite a bit, not just us as our as the executive directors, but also as our staff. Mm -hmm. That's also important, right? We're not competing with each other. So I would also encourage communities if they're not already to find someone that's somewhat near them. So staff can meet preferably in person to go over this and talk about their, you know, kind of their struggles and then go get a beer afterwards and really get to know each other. I think that's yeah. what allows us to be successful. Yeah, no, that's that's really good advice. People don't do enough of that. And uh, that's how you avoid making the mistakes. And that's how you recover from the mistakes is just uh, those conversations. So exactly. thank you so much for your time today, Chad. Yeah, thanks, Christopher. I appreciate it. We have transcripts for this and other podcasts available at communitynuts.org slash broadband bits. Email us at podcast at muninetworks.org with your ideas for the show. Follow Chris on Twitter. His handle is at communitynets. Follow communitynets.org stories on Twitter. The handle's at Muni Networks. Subscribe to this and other podcasts from ILSR, including Building Local Power, Local Energy Rules, and the Composting for Community podcast. You can access them anywhere you get your podcasts. You can catch the latest important research from all of our initiatives if you subscribe to our monthly newsletter at ILSR.org. While you're there, please take a moment to donate. Your support in any amount keeps us going. Thank you to Arnie Hughesby for the song Warm Duck Shuffle, licensed through Creative Commons. <laughs>